Oh, Father in heaven, how we do want to humble ourselves before you. How we want to have that complete and absolute surrender this morning to your heavenly will and to your direction in our lives. Lord, I pray and I ask this morning that you would come and visit us once more. Lord, may all of the the busyness that we talked about, may all those thoughts, all those things, may they just flee away in this time together this morning. Lord, bring us together into the heavenly place where all the things of this world, they're just, they, they pale in comparison to the light and brightness of Your glory. Lord, we pray that You would speak to our hearts today. We pray, Lord, that You would continue to draw us to that throne of grace where all blessings flow. So Lord, thank You so much. I do pray once more that You would speak through me. I just think of that, that treasure You gave me this morning. Oh Lord, how I... I want a deep experience with you. And I believe each and every one here, they, they're here because they are seeking a deeper experience with you. So Lord, let all of our pride, all of our self-exaltation, all of our self-will, let it be laid aside as we come to you this morning. Bless us to this end, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. On Monday, we looked at a life of power, that God wants to give us such a life of power. And that power can only come from His throne. On Tuesday, we looked at that we need to take time to pray. And if you know, you're getting started at that and it's growing, don't get weary. Keep pressing on. You know, if you fall down, get back up. What does it say in Proverbs 24? Is it 16? Where a righteous man may fall seven times and do what? And rise again. But the wicked will fall by calamity. So get back up. And let's keep pressing forward as we march to Zion. And then yesterday we looked at how God wants to remove all those hindrances to our prayers. We looked at how to make prayer work. And we, we didn't cover everything. We ran out of time to go through some things. But we want to make sure that we are always seeking for the Lord's will to be done in our life. And if there are those things that are outside of that, we want to let those just be washed away. Today we're looking at fervent prayer. The Bible says in Psalm 11:3, if the foundations be destroyed, what shall the righteous do? I mean, it's a fearful thing to think that we are about ready to head into the most terrible time that this world has ever seen. And so many of us have not built upon that firm foundation. And we cannot build upon a foundation. We can have a knowledge of the truth, but unless we have a love for the truth, we're going to be deceived. And I, I believe this with all of my heart, that we cannot really love the truth unless we have a deep, abiding experience with Jesus. Because Jesus is the truth, isn't He? Amen. So 
We need to build that foundation. And once we have that foundation, the, the structure will be secure. The, the rains may come, the floods may rise, but those who are built upon that rock, they will not fall. We cannot afford in our lives to not build upon the right foundation. And if you're looking ahead, don't look too far ahead. Look to each day. Every day you want to be thinking, Lord, I need to build the foundation of this day. And as you build the foundation of each day, you're going to be building the foundations of, of tomorrow in a sense because you're going to be building and strengthening in that. But if you wake up and you don't build that foundation, what are you going to do? Foundations are destroyed and the foundations aren't there. What are the righteous going to do? If we don't start that day in the right way, what are we going to do throughout the day when the devil comes to tempt us, when the devil comes to pull us from that right path? So let's build that foundation. Heavenly Places, page 85, guard jealously your hours for prayer and self-examination. Guard zealously, uh, jealously, your hours. What does that mean? Don't let anything guard that time more as, it, as if it were such a precious, precious thing to you. Guard it and don't let anything take it from you. Set apart some portion of each day for a study of the Scriptures and communion with God. Thus you will obtain spiritual strength and grow in grace and favor with God. He alone can direct our thoughts aright. He alone can give us noble aspirations and fashion our characters after the divine similitude. You know what that is? What's another word for this? Fashioning our characters after the divine similitude. To be like Jesus, sanctification. It's that daily walk with Christ. He's retraining, restructuring the components of the mind to be trained upon Him, and He's refining our characters. And each day, He's making us more and more like Him. That's the biblical uh, pattern, right? The path of the just is like the rising sun that shines ever brighter into the perfect day. It's ever growing more clear, more perfect until it's in its fullness. If we, draw, if we draw near to Him in earnest prayer, He will fill our hearts with high and holy purpose and with deep, earnest longing for purity and cleanness of thought. As we begin to seek God, there is an earnestness that comes. When David says, you know, as the deer pants, longs, needs that water from the cool stream. So my heart pants or longs after, after you. That does, that's not natural for us. But as we're seeking God, He begins to do that within us. We become earnest in seeking Him. And we'll long not just to seek Him, but it'll be His character that we find beautiful. And we're going to say, Lord, fix my thoughts. Fix the, the rough edges in my character. Someone should say amen. amen. Because if, if we think that our prayer life is just 
for God to give us power and, and the life to do the things we want, then we, we've not understood what a life of power is. God wants to refine. He wants to shape. He wants to give us strength in the Christian walk. He wants our thoughts to be of Him. What was it? 1 Corinthians 2.2 For I determined not to know anything, not to know anything among you. We want our minds to be steadfast on Christ. Testimonies for the Church, Volume 5, page 161. We must be what? Much in prayer if we would make progress. It's, it's very easy to just stay and, well, may, may I shouldn't say it that way. May I should say it this way because I think it's more true. You're either going this way or you're going that way. You're either drawing closer to Christ or you're being drawn away from him. But sometimes, you know, we put one foot in the world, one foot in the church, and we're wavering. But if we would make progress, what is progress? Progress is forward, that forward movement. If we would make progress in the divine life, if we would be growing in that Christian walk, we must spend much time in prayer. Yes. You know, when I first decided to give my life over to God, I was 50. And I was reading the Bible, and I noticed that every time I read what God was, was praying, it was early in the morning. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to do it too. Yes. So whenever he wake me up, 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock, mm -hmm. and my friends tease me, you mean tell me you get up that time in the morning? I have no distractions. Mm -hmm. I ain't got to wear my phone call. Mm -hmm. I ain't got my mama, I need this, or uh, a husband, I want something. I got all my time. Amen. 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 That's been years ago. And mm. to this day, mm. I still get up early in the morning. It's before precious. I do anything, before I talk to anybody, <laughs> I want to give my time. Amen. I love it. <laughs> I love it. But we must be much in prayer. Let, let, me, let me say it like this. The reason why we have to be much in prayer because when we are in that time of prayer, where are we really? In the presence of God. Do you know if you take a child and you put him with one family, that child is going to grow to have that bent towards that. You put him with another family, they're going to develop and bend this way. Now, there are, there are natural hereditary traits that, that we have to overcome. I understand that. But there is such a profound influence when you're around certain people. That's why uh, with our children, we, we, we beg them, choose good friends, right? Choose the right kind of associates because they have an influence upon you. We were in prayer with Christ. When we were in prayer with with. God in the heavenly places, that is an influence that is having its impression upon us. So if we would have progress, we need to have the right kind of influence. So we need to be much in prayer if we want that progress in the divine life. We cannot press forward unless we're with Jesus. Do you know why? You know what Ellen White says about Jesus? He's already gone down the path and pressed down all those hard thorns. He's made the way 
for us. That doesn't mean it's not difficult at times, but He's there with us. When the message of truth was first proclaimed, how much we prayed. Why? Why was that? Why, I mean, why was it that as the truth was being proclaimed, why were they praying so much? They saw their great need. The truth was having an effect upon them. As they were studying these things, they understood that, that this truth had to go to the world. They understood that they wanted to stand in a right relationship between the, between, uh, before the, the throne of God. When the message of truth was first proclaimed, how much we prayed. How often was the voice of intercession heard in the chamber, in the barn, in the orchard, or in the grove? I thought about that. You know what those are? Those are everybody's secret places of prayer. Frequently, we spent hours in earnest prayer, two or three together claiming the promise. Often the sound of weeping was heard, and then the voice of thanksgiving and the song of praise. Their hearts were just going out after God. The Lord said to them, seek my face. And their heart said, your face, O Lord, I will seek. Now the day of God is nearer than when we first believed. And we should be what? More earnest. But we're less earnest. We should be more zealous. But we're less zealous. We should be more fervent. But we're less fervent. God have mercy on us. Friends, we must change the order of things. We must set aside the things of this world and we must go and find that time for prayer, that place of prayer, and let our hearts once again go out after God. We should be more earnest, more zealous, and fervent than in those early days. Our perils are greater now than then. Souls are more hardened. We need now to be imbued with the Spirit of Christ, and we should not rest until we receive it. What would it be if we would go upon our knees and say, Lord, you must do this for me. Lord, I will not rest until you let me be at peace with you and know that you're going to work in my life. I have to know, Lord, that your promises, they're not true just for that saint or that saint. They're true for me personally. One of the greatest things that I've struggled with is that I would think, well, God's promise, oh, sure, I believe the Lord will work it for you. But Lord, could you really do it for me? You know, I would have such boldness to pray the promise for someone else, but when it come to me, Lord... Could you do that for me too? <laughs> oh, and then the, the joy of knowing that the Lord's promises are for me too. Oh, Lord, do this for us. Friends, we have to get earnest. We can't be lackadaisical anymore. We have to get serious about our walk with Christ. Definition of fervent. This is just one dictionary I looked at. Very hot. I like that. I like this better. Glowing. Remember we talked about the countenance? Shouldn't we be aglow with the light of heaven? Shouldn't we be so glowing that 
People, they could not help but know that we have been with Christ. But I, today, I want to talk about not just what people see, but what our Father sees in the secret place. Should we not be glowing for Him? Exhibiting or marked by great intensity of feeling. Zealous. I'm not talking about some weird... <laughs> um, just manufactured emotion. I'm not talking about that. I mean, anyone, they can start acting foolish and that kind of, they can start, you know, like in the early, if you've read the early Adventist history of people accusing, uh, that there was so much fanaticism. The, the people of God were distancing themselves from that. But often they were accused of being mixed in with it because the devil wanted to hurt the truth. But there was so much craziness, people rolling all over the floors, You've, you've heard of those holy laughter movements. That's, that is not of God. But we're talking about our hearts being drawn out so much after God that there is an intensity of feeling. There is a longing for God and you have to have it, that hungering and thirsting after Him. So, Testimonies Volume, Testimonies for the Church, Volume 1. Do not neglect secret prayer. I'm telling you, friends, we have to regain something that has been lost. We have to see, there is going to be such a false revival, but God is going to have a true revival. Amen. It's going to be a revival of primitive godliness. And if you want to look at the movement of the early church, they were a, a movement of prayer. You look at the early Adventist movement, it was a movement of prayer. And that movement led to the changes of the life. You cannot have a life of prayer and also a life of the world. It just doesn't mix. Do not neglect secret prayer, for it is the soul of religion. With earnest, fervent prayer, plead for purity of soul. Plead for that purity of soul. Plead as earnestly, as eagerly, as you would for your, as if, as you would for your mortal life, were it at stake. I mean, just let that sink in for a minute. If you were about on the, on the brink of some, some disaster, and there was someone there that could reach out their arm to save you, would you not plead for your life? Or if it was your child there and someone could save him, would you not plead for someone to, to reach out their arm to help them? Plead as earnestly, as eagerly as you would for your mortal life, word at stake. I mean, every day when we wake up, we need, to, we need to pray as if that were our last day on the face of the earth. Lord, use me today. Protect me. Lord, be with my children. Be with my family. Be with these precious souls that I'm reaching out for. Lord, be with our church. Be with our work. Be with brother so-and-so and their family who's struggling with this. We're pleading with God as if our lives were at stake because as someone said it, they truly are. I love this. Do these move you? 
I hope they do. If they don't, I'm walking out. <laughs> I mean, these just, they just tear my heart. Remain before God until unutterable longings. Those deep-rooted longings after God are begotten within you for salvation. And the sweet evidence is obtained of pardon sin. It's, it's that robe of his righteousness upon us. When we have that at the throne room of God, it was in our song this morning. I mean, look at this. No condemnation now I dread. That's this. We have just, we've come and we've, we've had the Lord work that within us. And we have the sweet evidence of our sin being washed away. And then we sing Jesus and all in him is mine, alive in him, a living head, and clothed in righteousness divine. When you come into that state between you and the Lord, you know what comes next? Bold. I approach the eternal throne. When we have that, you will find a boldness and a fervency and an earnestness in prayer that you have never imagined before. Because we've moved from that superficial, dear Lord, please bless me for this day. We don't have to think about it because we've said it a million times. It just comes out, and we get up. It's, it's a form. You know, after, I, I've thought about that as I, as I go to pray for my foot. Y'all say, did we pray? Why would I do that? Because it was, it was so rote, such a form, that it didn't mean anything. I didn't even remember it. Did we pray? Oh, I prayed. <laughs> Lord, please forgive me that I would be like the dog that goes to the food without thanking the Creator and the one who gave it. No, we don't want that. We want our hearts drawn out after God. Amen. Don't you want a, a living power in your prayers? Amen. Oh, how God wants to do that for us. That sweetness of pardoned sin. Don't we need to regain this? Gospel workers, page 255, it is only, just, I highlight them just, just to notice the focus here. It is only at the altar of God that we can kindle our tapers with divine fire. Nowhere else. You cannot get it anywhere else. If you want your life to be a flame for Christ, there's only one place you can have that. That is at the altar of God. It is only the divine light that will reveal the littleness, the incompetence of human ability and give clear views of the perfection and purity of Christ. It is only this. It is only as we behold Jesus that we desire to be like Him. We're there in our time as we're reading, as we're as we're seeking that word from God to us, we're sitting at the feet of Jesus, saying, Lord, teach me of you. Teach me of you, my Savior. 
I want to be like you more than anything else. It is only as we behold Jesus that we desire to be like him. We may think that we desire to be like Christ. We may go to church, we may hear a sermon, and we want to, we, our hearts are pricked. We want to be like Christ. But you'll never find that desire like you'll find it in that time of prayer alone with Jesus at his feet. And there's no substitute for it. Only as we view his righteousness that we hunger and thirst to possess it. And it is only as we ask in earnest prayer that God will grant our heart's desire. If we don't come to God with such a sense of our need of it, we're not going to receive it. We're not going to receive it. Review and herald, what's the fourth month? April. April 23, 1889. By your fervent prayers of faith, you can move the arm that moves the world. Oh, friends, we need a fervent life of prayer. You can have the time of prayer. You can have your methods of prayer. You can remove those hindrances. But unless you come with a great longing for God and wanting God to speak to you and to move and develop in you a Christ-like life, you will not find what you're really, really looking for. It'll be there, and then it'll be gone. You'll say, I tried it. It didn't work, so I'm moving on. Oh, God help us to be fervent. I love this promise. This is probably one of my favorite promises on prayer. You're going to fall out of your seats. When with earnestness and intensity we breathe a prayer in the name of Christ, there is in that very intensity a pledge from God that He is about to answer our prayer exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. Is that not powerful? As we are there in prayer and the Lord is opening our hearts to Him, He's the one who puts that intensity in us and we're pleading with him. And in that intensity, it is a promise. It's a pledge from God that he's about ready to answer our prayers more abundantly than we could even ask or think. Isn't that incredible? And we can claim that because we know that as God is moving, that intensity, the only way that intensity can really be filled in our lives as is when the answer to prayer is after God's will. And everything God does is exceedingly above all that we ask or think. The smallest thing God does in your life is more than we could even ask or think. If we could understand it in the light of eternity. It's Christ Object Lessons, page 147. If you need them afterwards, come up. I'll give you the clicker and you can go through it. But a couple things. Fervent prayer is fueled. It's fueled. I said earlier that it cannot be manufactured. You know, I have to admit that I've heard prayers where I thought it was more of a show than more of a... It just felt like a show to me. And, and I don't want... I mean, I can't read the heart. I can't judge it. But it just... I felt like it was a show. 
Just like I'm sure we've all heard messages and those things that, uh, you know, it seemed so perfect. It was almost a production. It just, it, there wasn't the, the rawness of the Spirit of God moving upon the humble servant. I say that I've been blessed here. I'm not saying that here at all. I've been so blessed here. But I think you understand what I'm saying. That there, there's, a, there's a form, and then there's a, a, something that is so real and genuine. But fervent prayer is fueled. I want to talk about this for a few moments. We went through on Tuesday how to find treasures and gems, right? These are fuel for fire. Do you realize that? When you write these down, they become fuel for your prayers. When you read this and you say, Lord, I want that deep experience in the things of God. God starts to put a longing in your heart for it. It's fueled. It's not being manufactured. It's being, well, the, the Holy Spirit's doing that work in our hearts. We're being fashioned in that matter. This is fuel for our prayers. Fuel for our prayers. When you have a desire to see your family in the kingdom of heaven, is that fuel for your prayers? You know how hard it is to plead for God to do a work in our children's lives when He's trying to do that work in our lives. <laughs> but God will give that as fuel for our prayers. It's hard to find a more fervent prayer than a mother's prayer for her children. It's true. It's true. My mother's going to be here today, and I'll tell you, well, I can't tell you the profound impressions that were placed on me as a young child, my, actually my teenage years, walking in and hearing my mother pleading with God for me. I mean, to this day, it does such a, I mean, it, it does a work in me. To, and I don't even know to this day if she really knows. Maybe I should tell her. You should. <laughs> but but to, to hear her pleading for me, I mean, what that did to me. I mean, not just, Lord Jesus, be with my, my, she calls me Justy. <laughs> I tell me, there's only two people in the world that call me that. <laughs> my mother and my wife. <laughs> but just to hear her pleading and with crying, asking God to help me. And I just, I praise God for that. But there, those, that's fuel for our prayers. It's, it, it's, it's not a manufactured thing. It's the Lord is, is putting that longing in our heart, the longing that He has for our children, He's putting that on our hearts for them. So it's our families. Those that we are seeking to bring to the truth. I don't know if I've had, outside of my family and praying for my church family, I don't know if I've ever had more of a burden than for those that I'm trying to bring to the truth. If we are not using, we talked about yesterday, hindrance to answered prayer is that we are always receiving but never 
imparting. And if we are not reaching out after souls, if you are not sharing the truth of God, you will, you will never find the strength in prayer that God wants you to have. You'll always be missing a component. And if we're always praying but never going out to live out those prayers, you will lose that fuel for your fire. When we're laboring for souls, there comes to our heart the heart of God. And we will come to God and we'll plead with God for those precious souls. How many of you were at Unlock Revelation again? I mean, when you come to those and you see people that are coming to the truth and you see the Lord drawing them, you just, you love them and you want them to come to the truth. I preached the meeting in Grand Ledge and I mean, just see those people coming. You just long for them to be there. And there was one dear person that uh, had made a decision for baptism and through some circumstances what wasn't, didn't come to the, the meeting and had called them, hadn't been able to get in touch with them. And I was praying all week for this person. Lord, please. And then it was Sabbath morning. I just had a, a special burden for this. I pled with God to help me get in contact with this person. And, and then in our, our family prayer, we prayed as a family and went to church, got back later in the afternoon, and Shelly says, let's go for a walk. I said, okay, let's go for a walk. We're going to go to, and those who live in, in Lansing will know, we're going to go to Hawk Meadow, which is a beautiful place to walk. But I was pulling out of our road right onto Saginaw Highway there. And instead of turning left, I just turned right. I said, no, let's go here. And we went down to Grand Ledge, and they have a little area there where you can walk down there to the ledges. We get out, and it's five minutes into our walk, and guess who's there? I mean, if I had my eyes attuned right, I would just see the angel of the Lord pulling this person by the hand and my hand and just joining us right there together. This is what was so incredible. Did not only see one interest, but saw two, three, four of our leading interests on that walk. Was that not a divinely orchestrated event? I just, I, I just... I couldn't help but just go home and just sit there and just wonder at the wonderfulness of God. Amen. Just thank Him for that. And, but that, that's fuel for your prayers. Not only the pleading and longing, it is the praise and thanksgiving for His goodness. Do you know the joy of seeing someone come to the truth? Yes. The wrestling, the difficulty and all of that, but they come to the truth and then they're baptized. I mean, we had a dear, precious saint here that gave their testimony a couple years ago at camp meeting. And in her testimony, she said, after my baptism, I went home and I danced on the devil's face. <laughs> I just thought, Lord, where do you find such joyful things? All I could think was, there is, a, there, is the, there is a right dance in the Lord. You're going to dance on the devil's face. 
I better be careful how I say things. <laughs> yeah. you know, when uh, I went to the Revelation Seminar, I had a lot of questions. Mm, mm. And um, I'm getting baptized this Sabbath. This Sabbath. Amen. Uh, Here. All right, you're going to have a whole host. Amen. And uh, I was baptized as a child, but to know what I know now and to come up out of that water, I'm going to be like that lady. I ain't going to wait to get some things. Damn. I told you I need to be careful. <laughs> but I'll say there is a joy in the Lord. But all glory has to go to Him. Amen. That's why, and I just want to say this here, because, let me say it this way. I'm one who, I don't like applause at baptisms. I, I know that sometimes it's, it's a natural way for us to express ourselves. But we're not applauding. That's, that's a worldly thing. And there's, a, there's an appropriate place for applause. You're appreciating someone. I'm not saying that there's not a place for it. But in sacred, holy places, where the Bible says that the angels cry, Holy, holy, holy. Where Ellen White reminds us that the angels, when they come in the presence of the Almighty, they veil their faces. Where you see the prophets of God, they come into the holiness of God and they fall as dead men at his, at his feet. I mean, there needs to be a holy reverence in the place of God. Amen. And I just say it because, you know, a lot of times we do things out of ignorance and those kinds of things. And I don't judge people and they do. You know, I, I, don't, I don't want that spirit in my heart. But as we can teach and lead, you know, I want to take that opportunity. That's why I don't like applause in the, in the sanctuary. I don't like it. I don't like applause in the time of worship. I don't like applause for special musics. I want all glory, all thoughts to be directed toward our King, who is worthy of that worship, honor, and praise. And so, I'll be the I'll be the loudest one to say amen. Because amen means that we're agreeing with God in what he's done and wanting that glory to go to him. Amen? So when we see your baptism, we're going to shout amen. Hallelujah. Know hallelujah means? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Amen. Is that okay to give a little pastoral counsel? Okay, I got to share a story here. I shared this, I share the story everywhere I go just because it's made such a profound impression on me. And it, it, it gives me an example of what it means to be earnest. What it means to be earnest. What it means to have a fervency. Someone tell me who this is. You know I'm giving you all this because I want you to go home and study these, these, <laughs> these lives. Uh, where do you find it? Okay, wa- wa- want me to tell you? Let me tell you one of my secrets. I'm going to be in trouble because I'm going to run out of time. But I have to tell you anyway. This is, this is my 
some of my secrets. I want to spend most, I'm telling you, I spend probably 90% of my reading in the Bible and the Spirit of Prophecy. Probably 90%. There are so many things, I love to read. There are so many things out there. I could spend all my time reading other people's thoughts when I want to read God's thoughts. I'll tell people, say, have you read this book? Oh, I've heard about it. I haven't read it. And I do have a stack of books I want to get through. And there are some like, like this book here, and I'll tell you the name in a minute, that found, but this is what I do. So I'm reading the Spirit of Prophecy, and I see something interesting there. Like, where does she get that? Where does she get that? Sometimes she'll mention a name like John Wesley. And in Gospel Workers, I think it's page 33 or 34, she, she mentions... John Wesley, she mentions George Whitfield. She says that God spoke through them, that God gave them an influence upon people's lives, that when they came, God spoke through them in such a powerful way that people involuntarily yielded their hearts to God. Not that they were forced, but all those things that seemed to be such major roadblocks, such mountains, they came as, as, as these men appealed to them. Those mountains just vanished and they found themselves drawn after God. So I look at those, like, John Wesley, wow, I want to know about that guy. George Whitfield, I want to study this guy. John Welsh, she mentions him. That's why I went to read about him, because the prophet talked about him in his life of prayer. So as I go through the spirit of prophecy, that's where I find, that's where I go to find those things. I want to study those things. You know, you know when I was younger, I was reading in, and she was talking about the, the youth and how they go after, you know, works of fiction and these things. And today, you know, you go back and you look at those works of fiction, Moby Dick or the Tale of Two Cities or whatever. They seem so innocent in today's world. But those are the things she was talking about. Those works of fiction that pulled the mind after after the, the senses, the, the desires of the human heart to be uh, entertained. But she said, rather, we should tell them the stories of the missionaries. Moffat, Livingston. So know what I started doing? Started getting all those great pioneer uh, those great pioneers in the mission movement, and I started reading those to my children. Books like John, you know, Livingston, or Moffat, or um, who is the great piano player? I just lost his name. Went to Africa. Schweitzer, Albert Schweitzer. Or, um, you put me on the spot. I'm trying to remember all these names. William Carey. George Bueller. Um. Uh, what's my one of my favorites? Uh, yeah, Charles Spurgeon. Yes, Hudson, Taylor Hudson. Went to China. Yes. You know what? We're just, we're actually, we just got that one. We're going to go through that as a family. And so usually on vacations or in the car, uh, we'll get a book and Shelly will read it to us as we're going. These powerful 
missionaries. Uh, try to remember the one though that you have to, you have to, you have to read this guy's life. I'm gonna look at it real quick. I know I'm I'm like diverging, but yeah, D.L. Moody. Well, I ran a couple years ago. I ran the Chicago Marathon, and I was running, and I looked over, and guess what I saw? D.L. Moody's church. <laughs> I ran by. I thought. Lord, if I ran this marathon for one thing, <laughs> it was to run by this, this place, this great man of, of prayer and evangelism. Okay, i got to just give this to you real quick. Corey Ten Boom is, is one. Eric B. Hare. Oh, here it is. Adoniram Judson. Oh, man, that is rich. That is rich. Ah, I'm trying to look and see if I have some others here. Yeah, Hudson Taylor, George Whitfield, um, Sojourner Truth, David Livingston, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Wow, Brother Andrew. I all of these you have to read the filter. You have to read the filter. But what you want to do, you want to, you want to pull out those things where, I mean, like, uh, Brother Andrew, this is a guy, he, he worked to, to smuggle Bibles into the communist countries that wouldn't allow it. And God worked in marvelous ways. But all their theology is not right. Glean what is good, but be careful in those. And that's why, I mean, even you look at John Wesley. Did he have everything right? Oh, no, he didn't. No, he didn't. Do we have everything right? We have the message right. We have the message right. But our lives, we want the Lord to make right. <laughs> but we do have the truth. This is the truth. But that, that's just a little insight. Fill, let's fill our minds with the things of God. And let's, if we need inspiration in those things, let's find it in the work of God. You'll notice, though, most of those are old. <laughs> Old movements. Because it's hard to find contemporary movements that are outside of the work, the remnant church of God. Jim Elliot. Jim Elliot. That's right. That's another good one. Even though he didn't have it all right either. Okay. Can we go on? Yes. Yes. Oh, who's that? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, for a moment, I was in the heavenly places. Forgot I was, I was here. I'm serious. Mm, okay. John Hyde. John Hyde. He didn't have it all right either. This is a powerful man of prayer who had love for souls. H Y D E. He is. In India, he's pleading with God for souls. This is a man who prayed for God to give him a soul every day of the year. People laughed at him. People mocked him. He prayed. God gave it to him. How many is that? You're talking, they're pioneering a work. This is huge. And like I said before, there's a filter. They, they didn't have the fullness of the message that we have. But God was preparing a people to come and be prepared for the message of truth. So he prays for two souls a year, the next two souls a day for the whole year, the next time, year. 
People are, you're crazy. The Lord gave it to him. He said, Lord, could I pray for four souls a day for a year? The Lord gave it to him. There are times, granted, that wasn't, he was talking the cumulative effect. And there were days where there might have been 15, other days where there might have been two or whatever. But he had been in prayer and, and he had gotten up from his prayer and he was convicted that the Lord told him that he, the Lord was going to give him 10 souls that day. So they load up the wagon, they go to a, a village, and they begin laboring all day. They're preaching, they're singing, they're appealing, no results. The days uh, coming to a close, they're, I mean, they've been out all day, no refreshment, no one coming to their aid. They come to a house and, and someone invites them in. The day is coming to a close, so they're, they're, the other missionaries with him are eager to get back because it's dangerous to travel along the, the route to get home. And so they're, okay, let's, you know, let's get this going. And John says, no, we're not leaving without the ten. And so they make their way, they come to this home. And as they are getting some refreshment in those things, they start talking to this family about the Lord. And they found out that these people, they've been studying some that they could and that their hearts are open to Christ and they preach Christ to them there. And John says, do you believe? And they said, we do. He said, is there anything that would keep you from making your stand for Christ right now? They said, no. So he takes them and they baptize them. Now, you'll see that now we, we have a thorough process for baptism. <laughs> and we have a thorough process for discipling. But they take and they baptize them. There were nine. Nine in the family. So the other missionaries, they're just so excited. Praise the Lord. And we get to go home. <laughs> so they, they're, they're saying, let's go. So they come out of the house and they start going towards the, the wagon to go home. And John is lingering back. He doesn't want to go. And they, they're, they're pulling him, as it were, to the edge of the cart. They're loading up. And he's there. He's saying, I'm not going to go. They say, John, the Lord's giving us nine souls. He starts to weep. What about the one? What about the one? And they're, they're, they are earnest about getting him on the cart, but he's more earnest that God would give him the one. They said later that they began to be embarrassed at his earnestness and their lack of it for souls. Well, as they're delaying the the father of the house that where they were came out, and he's wondering why the delay. He himself saying, you better get going, it's dangerous. And John's there, he's, you know, weeping. No, I cannot leave without that one soul. And as he's saying that, the father turns and looks and says, here he is. It was his nephew. His nephew had come to live with him, but his nephew had been gone that day. He was out with friends. His nephew comes, and they open the Word of God, and he too had been wanting to give his heart to God. They take him and they baptize him. And a peace comes over John's face. He says, now we can go. We have our ten. I just think, I, you know, I think about that all the time. Lord, you must give us that earnestness 
for our prayers like He had for His prayers. I'll give you one more example of His earnestness. He is... He has this young man who came to live with him, pulled him right out of the world he's living with him, but this young man gets tired of religious living. <laughs> he says, I'm going to go back to my friends. I'm going to go back to my friends so we can have the pleasure of this world. John follows him to the train station, begging him not to go. There's a woman who's at the ticket counter, and as they come, she's observing this. She sees this man pleading with this young man not to go. And this young man is so rude, so defiant back towards him. He follows him on the train, pleading with him. The young man says, no, I'm not going to stay with you. I'm going to go. The whistle calls. John has to get off the train, but he doesn't go. He goes to the window of that car. He doesn't care who's watching. He doesn't care who's listening. He's pleading with everything he has. Tears are streaming down his face. He's begging that this boy would not leave Christ. And as the train pulls away, there's his broken form weeping for this young man. This lady at the ticket counter, she's just in shock as she's watching this. John leaves. The next day, the train comes. She's just watching, and she sees this young man get off the train. I mean, she can't believe it. He comes by, and she calls out to the young man and said, How come you've come back? I saw you go yesterday. He looked at her and said, I can't get his face out of my mind. I couldn't sleep all last night. All I could see was him pleading and begging for me. I have to go back to him. This young man came back. He became a powerful Christian worker in the cause of Christ. I just think, Lord, give me that earnestness. You know how many times we're so worried about what people think around us? We're so worried. Lord, if I give my life to a life of prayer and you start doing these things, what are people going to think? Let them think. <laughs> Let them not let your face, your life, get out of their minds. Let them see your life and see it as a call for their own life to be right with Christ. Amen. Friends, we must be fervent in our prayers. We cannot worry about what people think. Sometimes we worry even about what our children think, what our wives may think. Do you want them to think that we're a hypocritical Christian? Do you want them to think that we're in love with the world? Are we less concerned about that than if we'd be concerned that we are in love with Christ? Come what may. Come what may. Oh, friends, we have to be earnest. And I want to say something very plain again. We cannot be earnest in our prayers without the component of a burden for souls. We must plead to God to give us that burden for souls because that is the heart of Christ coming to plead for us. Does that move you? Yes. Amen. Notice this. Gospel verse, page 26. I'm going to have to speed up here. I'm sorry. I got... 
I got carried away. Gospel verse, page 26. Earnest, self-sacrificing men and women are needed who will go to God with strong crying and tears to plead for soul for the souls that are on the brink of ruin. Oh, friends, could we not come to God and plead with Him as if it were for our own children, for the souls of those He's calling us for? God is calling us to that. Fervent prayer is persistent. It is not letting go of the arm of God. Look at this, Luke 18, 11. Then he spoke a parable to them that men always ought to pray and not what? And not lose heart. We can't lose heart. We must come. We must press. He gives us two parables as examples. The persistent widow coming to the judge wanting justice. We see the man at the door asking for bread for his, his friends that are coming. We see that. Then we even see the the account of the, the woman coming to Jesus, begging for even the crumbs that would fall from the master's table. We have to be persistent. We can't lose heart. It's not only true for soul winning for the cause of God, it's true for your prayers. Do not become weary in doing good. Do not become weary in your prayers. Because I'm telling you, you will reap if you don't lose heart. Genesis 3.26, and he said, let me go for the day breaks. Who is saying that? So Lord, let me go. Does God want us to let go? No. Sometimes he's letting us linger because he wants our hearts to be drawn out to him that much more. Yes. Okay, let's read it together. That's a good, that's a good suggestion. This last sentence starting with but. Ready? But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Let's not let go of the arm of the Lord too soon. Let's come to that time where I say, Lord, I can't face this day unless I have your blessing. I can't do it, Lord. I dare not do it. I dare not. Christ Object Lessons, page 145. God does not say, ask once and you shall receive. He bids us ask. Unwearingly persist in prayer. The persistent asking brings the petitioner into a more what? Do you catch that? As you're seeking God, being persistent, what is it doing to us? It's doing a work in us. It's making us more earnest and gives him an increased desire to receive the things for which he asks. Isn't the Lord wonderful? Even in the way he answers us, he's working in a way to draw us, our hearts out after him more, so that we will come to the place where we are hungering and thirsting and pleading and begging for that which we are asking. Who is this? All right, you got it. Elijah. I knew you'd get that one. You know, when I was reading, studying Elijah, you know my oldest son's name is Elijah. My second son is Enoch. Not Enoch. He'll correct you. Enoch. <laughs> How many saw my son last night on the platform? That, that was Elijah. What? 
those two characters in Scripture are very near to me. And I found a treasure when I was reading the story of Elijah. And it's just this little thing, and, and you might just skim over it. But to me, it, it, it gave me an example of earnestness and fervency that happens in prayer when we are enclosed in the, in the atmosphere of God and all else just slides away. She says here, and I don't have it on the screen, but I have it written here. Testimonies, Volume 3, page 286. 286. I just want to encourage you, read through the testimonies for the church. They are just incredible. You know, I've always used them as reference. I've never read all the way through them, but I'm reading through them now. And I'm in Volume 6. And... I'll tell you, they're just incredible. And when I can't read them, sometimes when I run or I'm in the car, I listen to them. When I was training for my marathon, I went, I went through two books. Wow. You know, out in the middle of the you know, darkness running, right down, if you know, those of you in Lansing running, running right down the middle of Saginaw Highway, listening to testimonies for the church. Wow. <laughs> oh, some of those were just wonderful, wonderful times. Yes. I was going to quickly say somebody corrected me before and mm. I never forgot it. That's mm. incredible. All the time you raved it in Spanish. And I said, no, very credible. Oh. Very credible. Hey, I like that. This is very credible. Now that reminds me of truly, truly, I say to you. Okay. You're not going to, well, you'll get it. In the most painful position. His face bowed between his knees. He most earnestly supplicates God to send rain. When I read that, why would she say in the most painful position? I mean, I just, I don't know, what does that mean? And as I just thought more and more about it, I thought, here's why she's telling us that is because he had humbled him. This, this giant of a, a reformer of God, this giant Man of God, crumpled on the hard ground, not thinking a thing about himself. He falls to the ground. He doesn't even think if it's painful or not. He crumples himself to the ground. And he's in the most painful position, but his heart isn't there. His heart is seeking God to answer his prayer. And I think about that. His prayer was so fervent so earnest, so persistent, that ground didn't, he could have been anywhere. And I just think about that. Lord, how many times have I thought more about my uncomfortableness than about my prayer? I'm there on my, on my knees, I'm thinking about the things I have to do during the day rather than meeting you in prayer. I'm so worried about all the responsibilities that I've missed that earnestness in prayer. That's a lesson for me. Lord, when I come to that time, if I'm going to be earnest and fervent in prayer, my mind has to be captivated by heaven. I don't want the distractions. I have a little thing that I do. I have a little notepad there. And if I get distracted... I jot it down. I don't want to think about it now. 
my devotion, I'm trying to stay on track. I think, oh, I want to think about this. I want to go here. It's like, nope, I'll do it later. I have to be in that time with the Lord. I've been listening to some CDs on Martin Luther. Mm-hmm. We know that Martin Luther prayed three hours a day, mm-hmm. but he also said when he knew that his day was going yes. to be very busy, yes. he got up an extra yeah. one or mm-hmm. two hours mm-hmm. more That's right. so that he could spend those mm-hmm. five hours in prayer. Amen. I can't wrap my head around that. Teach us how to pray that yes. long. Yes. That's what I want to know. Mm-hmm. How do I do that? Remember, fervent prayer needs what? Fuel. Why would he spend an extra two hours? He had a whole lot of fuel. What he was facing is he was going to go before those councils. He, he needed to know that it was a God, that was God speaking through him. When he said, here I stand, I can do no other. He only could say that because of those hours of prayer. I'm just telling you, prayer needs fuel. Little fuel, little prayer. A lot of fuel, a lot of prayer. Okay, I got one minute. I'm sorry. I'm going to race through here, but I know some are having to go. I just have to show you a couple gems here. God's messengers must tarry along with him if they would have success in their work. When men are as devoted as Elijah was and possess the faith that he had, God will reveal himself as he did then. God will reveal himself to you. When men plead with the Lord as did Jacob, don't let, I will not let you go unless what? Unless you bless me. The results that were seen then will be seen again in our lives. They will be seen. Power will come from God in answer to the prayer of faith. We can have that experience. It wasn't reserved just for Elijah or for Jacob. It is for us. Jesus, his life is the ultimate example. Signs of the Times, September 5, 1900. Christ is our example. His life was a life of prayer. Yes, Christ, the Son of God, equal with the Father, himself all-sufficient, the storehouse of all blessings, who... He whose voice could rebuke disease, still the tempest, and call the dead to life, prayed what? With strong crying and many tears. He often spent whole nights in prayer while the cities were hushed in slumber. I love this. Angels listened to the pleadings of the Redeemer. That is our example in Christ. Signs of times, it goes on. See the Savior bowed in prayer. His soul wrung with anguish. Why did Christ at certain times spend all night in prayer? He had a lot of fuel for his prayers. When he was going to uh, ordain the twelve, he spent all night in prayer. He had so much to pray about as he entered into that next day. That's why he spent so much time in prayer. He is not praying for himself. He did pray for himself. He prayed for himself. He prayed that God would help him carry the mission that was laid upon him. But here she's saying he is not praying for himself, but for those he came to save. In the mountains of Galilee, in the groves of Olivet, the beloved God prayed for sinners 
Then he came forth to minister to them. His tongue touched anew with living fire. How do we get our tapers lit with that divine fire? It's only in the audience chamber with God. It's only in that chamber. In heavenly places, page 73, of Christ it is said, and being in agony, and in agony he prayed more earnestly. In what contrast to this intercession by the majesty of heaven are the feeble, heartless prayers that are offered to God. Many are content with lip service, and but few have a sincere, earnest, affectionate longing after God. We can change that. Amen? Amen. We must change that. Amen. Signs of Times, July 24, 1893. It's one more after this. Jesus opened his public mission with what? Fervent prayer. An example makes manifest the fact that prayer is necessary in order to lead a successful Christian life. It is necessary if we're going to have a successful Christian life. He was constantly in communion with his Father. And his life presents to us what? A perfect pattern. A perfect pattern. I'll hear people say, well, Jesus did this because he only had this long to live. Jesus did this because of this. We have a perfect pattern in Christ. That doesn't mean that everything that he did will be exactly the way God leads in our life. But as we pattern our life after his, we'll be led by the will of heaven as was his. Not everyone will go to the cross for their death. Some of us may. Where was I? He appreciated the privilege of prayer and his work showed the results of communion with God. You will bear the fruit of that life of prayer. And then lastly, Testimonies for the Church, Volume 5, 385. The love which Christ has evinced for us is without parallel. Amazing love, how can it be? How earnestly he labored. How often was he alone in fervent prayer on the mountainside or in the retirement of the garden, pouring out his supplication with strong crying and tears. How perseveringly he urged his petitions in behalf of sinners. Do you, my brothers and sisters, inquire, what model shall we copy? I do not point you to great and good men, but to the world's Redeemer. That is my prayer that we will all be pointed to him. Let's stand together as we pray. O oh, Father in heaven, even now as our heads are bowed, let us know that we're in your audience chamber. Lord, I thank you for each one here. O oh, Lord, we can get glimpses of the times we will be in heaven where there will be no need to worry about the clock. There will be no fearfulness of the enemy. But Lord, until that day, May we find ourselves hidden in you. May we, as your people, be found in that secret pavilion, that secret place of the Most High. Oh, Father, I pray and I plead and I ask that you would teach us to pray. Teach us, O oh Lord. Teach us to pray that we might be more like Jesus. 
Bless each one for being here, Lord, and help them, I pray, as they draw close to you in their own lives of prayer. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.